0: Good morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you are present with us this morning. Lord, may you rest upon this place. May you open our hearts and our minds and even our imaginations through your scripture this morning. In Jesus' wonderful and powerful name, we ask this. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you. I have a question. I can't really see you, but raise your hand. Any of you guys, like, art people, like, you enjoy art, like, to go to a museum and you get really deep, profound things out of art? Alright, we got one. We've got one. I am not one of those people, but I appreciate art. Uh, my wife and I, we enjoy going to art museums, and normally I walk up to a painting and go, that's nice. That's a painting. Oh, th- there's another painting. Good job, right? And but every once in a while, a, a picture or painting might actually catch my eye. And uh, we we went to the Dallas Museum of Art several times when we lived in Dallas. And this is a Rothko, and that's really all I know about it. I just know it's by a guy named Rothko. And I I remember the first time I saw it. And if another painting catches my eye, I typically do this: I walk up as close as I can get and get my face as close to the canvas without the guard like looking at me weird and I just kind of stare at it. I like to see all the little brush strokes and the mixing and matching of color and and I kind of sit there and get absorbed in it and act like I'm really profound and into it, but I'm just kind of seeing what's going on. There's not much going on, right? And then finally, if I do that too long, I start to lose sight of it. So I have to take a step back and in front of the big paintings or the important ones, I guess, there's a bench. Normally you can sit there and pontificate and look at it, but it's not until you take a step back and sit and take it in, you actually get the painter's um, intention behind the painting. They didn't paint it so you could go up and look at all the little minute details. No, it's meant to be taken in, to have this posture to see this grandness of this work of art. And that's my hope and prayer for this morning's teaching. As we continue our way in the fruition series, we've been looking at love and patience and joy. And this morning we're looking at patience. And my prayer is that this morning, through to this morning's text, we're able to take a step back from the brushstrokes of our life and you actually see this grander painting that God is in the middle of illustrating for each of us who are in Christ. Now patience is something that we wish we all had more of, right? But it's not something that we really want to have to work on. And and there's a difference between patience and patience and waiting. We all have to wait. We have to wait in line at the grocery store. We have to wait in line in traffic. We have to wait for the sermon to get over so you can get to the brunch. We have to wait for so many things, but we don't all have patience. Standing in line does not make you patient. Now, the dictionary definition of patience, here's one of them. Bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Steadfast despite opposition, difficulty or adversity able or willing to bear how many of you are like sign me up for patience no not at all this goes completely against just our just not only our wills as humans but especially living where we live in the time we live we live in a i want it now i get it now culture instant gratification i mean the worst thing that could ever happen to me is that amazon prime is a day late like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know what I ordered, but I need it now, right? Each day, it's like, what do I get? I don't know what this is, right? We, this, is the, this is the air we breathe. But these stories that we submit to every single week in Scripture, this worldview is not, this instant gratification is not what the writers of Scripture had in mind. They're often stories from a marginalized people, people who are persecuted, people who did not get what they wanted when they wanted it. But yet, these saints of old, throughout the scriptures and church history, they somehow, through their trials, through their tribulations, through this patience they had to endure, came out the other side praising God for his goodness and and his faithfulness. And I believe in our text this morning for Romans that we're going to look at, that's Paul's desire for us this morning is to lift our eyes from being this close to the canvas and take a step back and get a larger perspective for what he is doing in the life of those who follow him. And we're going to do that by looking at Romans 8. I'm going to read it for us this morning. For we know... For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, say that last word with me, patience. In this part of Romans, Paul starts a little bit before. He's talking about creation and and how all of creation is under the curse of sin. And he starts painting this imagery that all of creation is groaning out as in pains of childbirth. And this, this childbirth uh, metaphor language is used many times throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, prophets used it. Jesus himself used it. Paul's riffing on it here. Pastor Martin pointed out a couple weeks ago, when he was teaching on joy that, that the, the pain and suffering of childbirth actually ends with the joy of a new life. All of creation is groaning, longing for something greater to come. But then Paul goes on to say that humanity itself, you and I, we too, groan inwardly, that we have this first fruit in us, that we are, an ado- that we are adopted. He's using this language to point us forward. First fruits and adoption. That In the Old Testament, Paul's playing off this idea of the Old Testament um, of their offering was the first fruits, the best of their produce that they would bring to Yahweh in worship. And they brought it to Yahweh with a hope, with an expectation that they, then they would be able to enjoy the bounty of the harvest. That they would then have something to look forward to as they bring this first fruit. Fruit, that it was an assurance of what was to come. And, and the scriptures play with the same idea in adoption that by, um, that in our baptisms, we are adopted into the family of God. Now, as, as adopted into a family, like the second the judge says, Mom, Dad, this is now your child, they have the full benefits of, of being part of that family, but they have an entire lifetime to live out those benefits. They get the inheritance at the end, not right at the beginning. Paul's using this language of first fruits and adoption to lift our eyes from the brushstrokes of life, to take a look back so we can see something larger and grander in our lives. But what is he pointing us to? What is he calling the Christian to lift our eyes up and look forward to? Is it just, hey, try to be really nice and try harder, then God will bless you. Or is it, you know what, like, just just maybe if society gets the right policies in place, then we'll have the utopian, progressive life that we all think we deserve. No, though, that is not what Paul is calling the Christian to. And mind you, Paul's writing to the Christian here. He's saying, church, followers of Jesus, this is what it looks like. And this is what he's pointing us to. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? In my years of ministry as I've sat with many Christians, as I've, as I've uh, sat in funerals and led funerals, I see it come out a lot there that, that a lot of Christians, we believe in the redemption of our bodies. If, if you ever say the creed, we believe in the resurrection. But for many Christians, I think our working theology is that We think like when we die, we're with the Lord and like this disembodied spirit thing floating around. Now, the scriptures, they don't talk a lot about what happens right like that moment upon death. All we know is that we're with the Lord. But the reality is our bodies down here and our souls with the Lord. And I think for a lot of us, it brings up this idea of like, you're gonna be a fat little baby cherub angel like floating around on the cloud with toilet paper and a harp, like playing and singing songs forever. I don't know about you, but here's a confession as a pastor. If that's eternity, like, I'm not very excited about it. Like, I, my my other call, I was the worship leader. I'm like, if I'm going to sing forever and ever, that's all I'm going to do. Like, I don't know about that. But scripture actually has a much larger view of what um, what um what the hope of the bodily resurrection is. I think many Christians, this will sound odd, but we have a short view of eternity how do you have a short view of eternity? Because we think it just ends when the dirt hits the coffin and then you're with the Lord, whatever that means. Paul, in his first letters to the Corinthians, he dives in deep. He goes at the importance of the bodily resurrection. It's the linchpin of our Christian faith. He writes this, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures." that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. He's giving a historical account that this man named Jesus came in accordance with the scriptures. He died a real death. He was put in a real tomb and his body is gone. The resurrection happened. And so much so that he went and appeared to his disciples in the 12 and, and it ends up appearing to hundreds more that this historical event, this bodily resurrection is the first fruits that he's calling us to look to, to take our eyes from the brushstrokes of this world to see a greater picture. then he goes on to say, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ be raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There's no bodily resurrection. Like go home. Like just go get brunch. This means nothing. If Christ be not raised. This is no more than a little club where we come to make ourselves feel better and go about the day. But we're here Because the resurrected Christ is reigning and ruling. And he goes on to say, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's about the resurrection what we're looking forward to, the thing that Paul is calling us to look forward to is the resurrection. And he talks about hope and what does, how does hope and patience and waiting and all that come together when he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. You and I, we have not seen the resurrected Christ face to face. But in God's mercy, he gives us the sacraments, the means of grace, that he attaches his promises to to bread and wine, that we receive his body and his blood, that the waters of baptism, real physical means, but yet they are still not the fullness of seeing Christ face to face in his resurrected glory. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with what? Say it. Patience. Another scholar translates it like this. We are eagerly awaiting, eagerly awaiting, looking forward to something. We are awaiting it. That is the redemption of our bodies through patient endurance. The word used here for patience has this idea, this kind of nuance of enduring, of suffering, of struggling, of fighting. As, as Pastor Martin pointed out in his prayer, of Israel waited 40 years. The Old Testament saints waited thousands of years for the fulfillment of Christ. And you and I now, we live in this state of already but not yet, where we are in Christ, but we have not tasted the fullness of the resurrection. And we are to wait patiently to endure it. St. John and... In Revelation, he paints this beautiful picture. And As I read this next part of scripture for you, I want you to think of it as a painting. It has lots of images. Remind you, he's, he's lifting our eyes from the brokenness, the sin, the, the things we are waiting and enduring on right now to lift our eyes and give us a greater vision. And he writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them as their God, and he will wipe away tears, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, this is what we are waiting for. This life that we live in now, we patiently endure, we wait at times in silence, we wait at times in suffering, we wait at times in, in, in struggling with the brokenness of this world, knowing that for those who are in Christ, we know how the story ends. The resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the saints, where we will be with God in body and soul where he says, Behold, I am making all things new. It's interesting as um, it seems any preacher I think you talk to that as we prepare our messages, we plan these out weeks in advance, um, but we don't plan our lives out weeks in advance. And and God often takes the things in my life and it's like, hey, before you teach on this, you've got to experience this. And I joked, um, first, I think it's hilarious that my first two sermons are patience and uh, peace, because if asked my family, those are like the least two words you'd ever use to describe me. But God sanctify me in his goodness and his mercy. And I joked my first sermon that Sora and our son brings home the black plague every week from preschool. And, um, and I said that, and then... He, still, he had a cold or whatever, and we brought him to the next couple of days. We just were kind of watching him. We brought him to the pediatrician, like, oh, he's got a cold, he'll be okay. And by Wednesday, we go back and they said, you need to go to Dell's right now, he's got upper respiratory. Uh, uh, infection and he, he's not breathing well so we're like okay so we hop in the car and we drive up 35 and we get to Dell's and his fever spikes at 105 mind you this kid's never had a fever in his life and, and he's you, as he's breathing he's just in his diaper sweaty with an IV and you see each little rib as he's <gasps> sucking for air and the doctor said here's the thing it's a virus um, there's nothing we can do except give him some fluid and monitor his oxygen and weight and be patient fighting to breathe fighting to get oxygen holding my wife and he's very active and seeing their limp not doing much i i I was trying to be dad and be strong so i sneak off into the bathroom and just lose it like ugly tears not like i'm not groaning inwardly i'm yelling out to god like god you have to do something and i can say all this reflecting on it in the moment it was a mess but it was in that moment that God started to remind me of the promises that Soren received at his baptism, that he's a child of God, that, that faith has been placed in him, that, that no matter what happens, whether God forbid he does not recover from this, the day is coming where he will recover from it, where we would recover from it. He started to remind me that, that, that I need to step back for a moment and see, God, what are you doing this moment? How are you using this moment to shape and form our family? All easier said on the other side. Because thank goodness after the, a couple of days there, I mean, he's back like, woo, we're like, whoa, buddy, we're not ready yet. You're good, but like, we need a hot second for mom and dad to process this. But I know for some of us this morning, you're sitting in that place where things haven't turned out okay this side of eternity, where the loved one still died, the spouse still left, the job disappeared, and you're saying, God, what are you doing in this? And it's an invitation, not that God causes those things to happen, but God's saying, I can use those to form and shape you to be a, a kind of person who endures and waits in a different way than the world waits and endures for the sake of the coming kingdoms so other people can see your life as a testament to God's faithfulness in your life. As I've been reflecting on our family's journey through the last couple weeks and just this passage, I I had to go back to Romans 8.18, and this kind of sets up how Paul sets up the passage we were just looking at. And he says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Read that for us again. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If your heart's breaking right now, God's heart is with you, breaking. But He's saying, "Child, lift up your eyes. Step back from the painting. Step back from the paint, from the brushstrokes, and see the grander picture I'm painting." that one day he will return, that all the sad things will come untrue, that Christ will make all things new and put death in the grave once and for all. But till then, my prayer, Bethany, is that he forms us, he shapes us to be a community that learns how to wait, how to endure, dare I say it, suffer well for the sake of his kingdom because we worship the suffering servant who is now reigning and ruling. It will be my pleasure and honor to pray for us this morning as we wrap up. Father, we thank you that you've sent your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you willingly entered the creation that you, you created with the Father and with the Spirit, that, that you stepped down in the mess and the brokenness of life and faithfully lived our life, that you willingly died our death And because of your resurrection, we will be taken up in the bodily resurrection just as you have. But Lord Jesus, we know as people who have been called to pick up our cross, we are called to wait with endurance until you return. So I pray for each of us this morning. Those of us who are in a very place of hurting and suffering, pour your patience upon us, Lord, your peace, your joy. Lord, for those of us who have seen your goodness and been through the valley of the shadow of death, may our faith inspire those around us, and may we be a place for them to lean on. And Lord, I pray that Bethany becomes a place of refuge for those who are waiting with patient endurance. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.